You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. All right, so... For the folks, thank you again for being at the Flip My Funnel track. This is, again, super, super highly curated people who are doing the best of the best in ABM. So you're, you're, you're going to get a treat. Dan and I, we, we go way back. I've seen him work in demand. And one of the quotes I remember you mentioned uh, when you were at the office one time, you said, I don't know why I'll start with another marketing automation. Why not just jump into ABM? And I think you were like frustrated by companies not adopting ABM as fast as they should. It could drive the business forward. So I'm excited to hear top 10 different lessons, different companies, how they've gone through. So this is going to be hyper. So take a ton of notes, take a ton of pictures. Everything is recorded, just so you all know. So there will be follow-up with slides and follow-up with recordings later on. So you can get all that. So give it up for man, Daniel Ingelberson. Thank you guys for coming. Ludicrous mode, 10 lessons learned. So uh, I'm very excited to have you here. I couldn't resist the opportunity to make a few on us go to man's baseball reference at the same time. So Lucas <laughs> mode. But I will try to uh, I'll try to move pretty fast through all this because I to be totally honest, when I wrote the abstract, I didn't know this was a 30-minute session. So uh, we got a lot to cover, so I'm gonna keep rolling. So a little bit about me before I jump in. Uh, my name is Daniel. I am a soccer dad. Uh, that's my, my daughter and my son's soccer team. I love coaching them on the weekends. It's a highlight of my Saturdays. So that, that's me. Also, I'm an ABM practitioner at, at my core. I've been a Furnace customer for about five years. I've been in demand generation for 12 years or so. And about two years ago, I started an agency called Kronos, and our whole MO is building, building, launching, and scaling, and then transferring ABM organizations to companies. So that's what we do, and that's where a lot of these lessons came from. So who should attend? So I think my last setup slide. One, this is gonna be super fast, so I apologize in advance, but I think I have a solution for that. Two, my main goal is for this to be practical. I really want you to be able to walk away with something you can actually go do. So hopefully you can do that. Three, I was trying to be full spectrum. I really wanted to talk to the person who's just starting on ABM, but I also wanted to talk to the person who's five years deep on, on their journey. So that was a big goal for me. And lastly, you're gonna see this QR code throughout. And it'll make more sense as we get into it, but anything you see in here, if you want it, just hit that QR code and let me know, and I'll send it to you. So just feel free. Oh yeah, this is my last startup slide. So where did I learn these lessons? I thought I'd put some context around this. In my opinion, ABM applies everywhere, and I think you're gonna see that as we unfold. But the companies I've been working with over the last 12 months or so are a lot of tech and SaaS startup, a lot of unicorns, uh, ironically, I didn't actually play in that, a lot of Fortune 500, and a lot of large enterprise. So, Really everybody, uh, it kind of spans the gamut. Uh, so let me get started. The first lesson learned is don't ruin the honeymoon. And I'm gonna cheat with this slide because I'm gonna cover two things. The first is the, is the little chart on the right, and that is the difference between ABM and demand generation. So I thought I'd start there, and I like to use a trade show analogy. So traditional demand generation is kind of like this event. Everybody here is somehow related to sales and marketing. That, that's the audience. And if I'm, if I'm terminus sponsoring this event, Everyone here is somehow related to my audience. But only some of you are actually ever going to buy MarTech. And only some of you are in market right now. And only some of you the sales actually want to talk to. So for the 100 people in the room right now, there might be one or two people 
who a term a salesperson actually wants to talk to right now. And that is traditional demand generation. There's nothing wrong with that, it's totally viable, but that is traditional demand generation. And ABM is, well, I already know the two people in the room who want to buy from this right now, and I'm just going to call them. I'm just going to all my time, energy, and money calling them. That is ABM, and that is the difference between traditional demand generation and ABM. And what I have found, and this is getting back to don't own the honeymoon, is that the fastest way, or one of the biggest ways you can create failure with your ABM program is setting the wrong expectation. It's telling your CEO who's used to seeing a lead metric, oh, I'm gonna get 100 leads from this program, now all of a sudden you're gonna get two leads from this program. Because they're not, they're not the same thing. You know, at the end of the day, they're the same thing, but they're not the same thing. And so if you have the wrong metrics out the gate, if you're setting the wrong expectations out the gate, people are going to wonder three months later, where are my results? And the metrics, they just don't connect. And so to do that, this, this is one, you're gonna see this every single one, less than than template, less than than template. So feel free to hit me for this. But to do that, you really need that quantitative objectives that help you dial in on how you're performing, help you understand where are the gaps in your performance, and help you set the right expectations. Because everybody gets excited when ABM launches, but everybody wants to know where are my results, and they wanna know now. And so you have to set the expectation when you first start out. Here are the results we're hunting for, and here's when we think we're going to go. So I got a campaign calculator to help you set those targets, and you can't really see it below. That's the 12-month bowler that will kind of cascade those targets out across the 12-month program. The second lesson learned is momentum is key. 52% of ABM programs fail in the first year, according to Boston Consulting Group. 52%. And there's two big reasons why that happens. One is starting too broad. Everybody, there's so much change management. There's, you gotta get systems, you gotta get process, you gotta get staff, there's just so much going on and you're just trying to get it perfect out the gate. And that will kill your program. And the second thing is not starting at all. And the worst offender of this, and I won't name names, is I worked with somebody who had had the ABM tech and the plan in place for a year and they hadn't actually started. And it's because they couldn't, they couldn't align on where they're actually gonna start their ABM program. So try and get it perfect on round one is basically impossible and it's going to stall your program out. And so in my opinion, the best thing that you can do is start with a strong foundation as fast as possible and then iterate for success. And so what are those foundations? And this is why I say ABM applies everywhere. The theory of ABM, or at least what I'm presenting to you today applies everywhere. Because it really starts with understanding what are the needs in the market and how do I solve these problems? Every business should be able to answer that question. What are the needs in the market and how do I solve those problems? And then who, which people have those problems? And that's your persona. And as you do that, where do they work? Where do those people work? And that's your ideal customer profile. And as you're doing that, then, then you can move to understanding what is the journey you want to take these people down at these accounts that have these problems? How do they become aware of these problems? How do they educate themselves around these problems? How do they build preference for your solution? And that, that is what you're trying to do. So if you hit me as a QR code, I'll send you a template for positioning, for persona, for ICP, and for journey map. But those are what I would consider the main foundations of, of launching your program. The third lesson learned is that it's a war of attrition. The hidden enemy of ABM is funnel attrition. And this might not be what you're thinking. And so to kind of walk you through it, you might say, there's a thousand accounts I'm gonna go target. And I guarantee you, if you just go buy that thousand accounts right now, maybe 700 of them will actually work out in the program. Because some number of them are going to be bad fit, some number of them are going to have bad data, some number of them are going to have bad contacts, some number of them are going to be the wrong contact. And the next thing you know, you thought you had 1,000 accounts and you really only had 700 accounts. 
And so the big lesson learned here is not so much data, because I'm going to get to data later. It's being able to track how, how like, when I have these 1,000 accounts, how many of them are in my CRM? And how many of them have contacts? And how many of them are good fit? And how many can I actually engage? And so the way we try to get after that is by having a set of dashboards, and here are some things to do, the three sets of, of the five that I'm referencing, to really understand where do I have access to my audience and where are my gaps? And the main thing to walk away with is to have that insight so that you can solve those problems, so that you don't stunt your program by 30% right out of the gate. Fourth lesson learned, I told you I was moving fast. Uh, fourth lesson learned is understanding the next best action. And I think some of the people who are just getting started on ABM, this might be a little harder to stomach than the people who've been doing that a long time. But generally speaking, I'm generalizing, what marketing is trying to do is generate the data that tells your salesperson, here is the next best person to contact. That is what you're trying to do. The tactics you're firing, the ads you're running, the emails you're sending, you're really just trying to collect the data that says, call this guy next. That is what you're trying to do. And, and so as you're doing that, you're thinking not only who's, who's passively engaged, what accounts are seeing my ad, what accounts are visiting my website, but also you're trying to understand which people at that account are engaging and what are they looking at and when are they looking. And as you're doing that, you might be using a model like FIRE, Fit, Intent, Recency, Engagement, to understand that. So I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of this, but what I do want you to walk away with is that one of the best things you can do to get after this is aggregate your data into a simplified score. And this isn't necessarily the end all be all of how to do it. It is that you should have a simplified view to who is the next best person to call, who is the next best person to engage. And, and so when I say scoring model, you probably think something like traditional scoring, like MQL or something like that. How many points does it take to MQL? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the same mechanism of earning points and scoring model, but it's not the same kind of scoring model. And so as you're thinking about building a scoring model to help you understand who should I engage next, one, there are some passive engagement metrics like who's clicking on my ads or who's visiting my website at the account level. And then there are some active engagement metrics like specifically who is downloading this asset, specifically who signed up for this webinar, the person themselves. And then I think one thing that marketers often miss when building this is also what happened after you handed it over to sales? What, how did the opportunity progress? How did the sequence unfold with the DDR? And is that folded in your model? Because you really want to know at any given time who is the most engaged person. Who, who should I be investing my dollars on? So the fifth lesson learned, and I'm moving, is don't take data shortcuts. Everybody wants to take a data shortcut. Everybody thinks data is going to be easy. I'm here to tell you data is not easy. It will never be easy. You cannot just go buy a list. It just, it just won't work out. And at the end of the day, whether you figure it out on day one or three months later, it is going to drive a ton of waste in your process to have bad data. And, and so one, there is no silver bullet. You cannot just buy from one vendor. And two, a robot cannot solve your data problem by themselves. A human has to be thinking about your data. Somebody somewhere has to own, what is my data strategy? How am I gonna keep my data clean? Where am I gonna get my data from? You know, somebody has to be thinking about that. And it is a lot of work. And it's something that kind of gets pushed under the rug. Everybody's like, oh, well, I'll just buy ZoomInfo. And I'm not knocking ZoomInfo, I love ZoomInfo, but you can't just buy ZoomInfo. You have to actually be thinking about it. So kind of how I highlight that here is data integrity is a lifestyle. And like for people who know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. You really, it just, it doesn't go away. So whether you build it, buy it, borrow it, I think you need to have a data plan. 
understand what is that data plan. I'm not going to walk through this in great detail because I know we're moving fast, but realistically, you have something like six places your data is coming from. You're trying to understand how big is my market. Then you're trying to understand who are the people that I, like what kinds of people I'm after. And then you're trying to understand how good is my account, my account data. And on down it goes. And one thing I want you to walk away with is as you build the plan, there is an order of operations. If you do, if you do not think about, I got to get this data first, then this data, then this data, then this data, you will have a lot of waste, a lot of churn. You got to go back to the data. You got to do another append, append to the data. You have to do more cleanup. So as you're building the data plan and thinking about what is the order in which the data should be bought or appended or cleaned or worked through. And so that's what I, I kind of flow charted out here. And if you hit me, I will send you this and explain to you why, why I would suggest doing it this way. So the sixth lesson learned is don't overcomplicate. Resist overcomplicating. And this one is something that I learned the hard way, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> when you get started on ABM, you want, you want to go. You're like, man, look at this technology, look at this approach, look at these results I'm going to get. And you build some plan, you present that internally, you tell your sales team, you tell your executive team, look at this awesome stuff I'm going to go do. And nobody has any idea what you're talking about. No, but if you're the guy who's championing ABM or the gal, no one else has any idea what you're talking about. And what you need to do is make it as simple as possible. And it's not because people are stupid, it's because it's a lot of change and it's a lot to get your head around. And so if you present to your organization a really complex plan, people are not going to know what you're talking about. And what that does is it drives a lot of, of gaps in alignment. And not only, I think the easiest one to hear about is sales and marketing alignment, because everybody knows the story of marketing gives sales a lead and sales doesn't call the lead back. And you're like, why didn't you call my leads? And then sales says, well, all these leads are garbage. Why are you giving me garbage leads? That is like, that is, that is the name of the game. And that is the easy one to spot. If you do not nail this, not only will you have that problem, your own marketing team won't know what's going on. Your own brand team or PR team or creative team won't actually understand what you're trying to do. And that is where, as a marketer, like, that was a really big surprise to me that there were even people on my own team who had no idea what we were trying to do. So, also talking to your partners, and then, and I think one of the lessons I got out of this really recently was even down to the BDR level. If you have overcomplicated the objectives of your ABM, and your, your BDRs could be firing off, and you could be a month deep in our program, and you're getting appointments at the wrong account. How did that even happen? It happened because you overcomplicated what you're trying to do. Not because your BDR is a moron, or because the salesperson doesn't want to participate. It's because you overcomplicated what you're trying to do. So how you can get after that, there's a variety of ways you can get after that, but in my opinion, it is to really write down what am I going to go do. And I do it with this campaign brief that you can kind of see here on the right. But articulating the goal, setting and quantifying actual targets, it's kind of that calculator we looked at earlier, outlining who's responsible for what. Like what is the handoff point from sales to marketing? Who's actually gonna do that and when? And establishing a timeline. And there's two things you get from this. One, everybody knows what you're gonna go do. And two, if somebody doesn't do your job, their job, you can come back and say, hey, this is what we agreed to go do. Why are you not doing it? And it's a very different conversation. If you wait until three months later and say, you didn't do this thing and it's not written down, it, nobody, 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 you can't really help yourself. So seventh lesson learned, I'm going to keep cruising through these, is pace your MarTech. And I think 
this is also a big one for the practical marketing folks in the room, is don't equate ADM with technology. It, that is, that is a, uh, it drives a lot of problems for you. One, it can, create, it, can, it can cause you to not start in the first place because, oh, I can't afford this ADM tech or I can't get marketing automation or whatever the case is. You can sit down cross-functionally and say, who should I be targeting and why should I be targeting them? And what problems am I solving? And if you're doing that, you have started your ADM journey. And, and then it's just iterating on that and figuring out how to get that message from that audience. So number one, don't let technology keep you from starting. And then number two is don't overkill your investment. Now, I don't care how much money you have in your budget. When I was a one job I had in the past, I spent $3 million on technology in a year. $3 million. So it's not about how much money you have. It's about what are you trying to do. And what I will tell you is that if you overinvest in MarTech, not only are you investing a lot of dollars into it, you're also putting a target on the back of your program. And the need to hit that ROI and the pressure you're going to get on your budget and whatever else you're doing with your resources just goes up. And so whatever you can do to condense how much technology you're buying to get started is a big bonus. And then lastly, all else aside, if you're the person who's in charge of implementing this technology, every piece of technology you layer on top is time, energy, money to implement that technology. And if it takes you six months or 12 months to RFP all this technology and get it all turned on, you could have started six months ago. So I'm not saying don't buy technology. I'm just saying when you buy the technology, make sure that it actually focuses on problems that you actually have. And so as you're thinking about that, you know, what problems do you have in being able to put your, your, your message in front of your audience and how do you actually want to go do that? So I just put an example over here on the right of how I would think about building your stack. And whether you call it CRM or CDP or whatever you want to think of, where do you store your customer data and how do you have a unified view into that data? How are you working your automation and your workflows on the back of that when you're marketing automation or whatever you're using? What is your ADM tech to get a single simplified view into what you're doing and how it's going and how you have that access? And then where are you getting your data? How are you automating sales? And, and, then, and then it becomes channel expansion. And so I think a lot of times when you get started on technology, especially in ADM, you want to fire all these channels off. And that's fun and it's exciting, but it's also really distracting and it's really noisy. So make sure you have the building blocks in place before you're layering on the more advanced, more sophisticated technology. Because it, kind of a tangent on this, also because if it takes you 12 months, 12 months to launch, the chances that your business objectives will change in 12 months are pretty high. And if you spend all this time and energy money building this tech stack for this perfect world, and 12 months later your, your objectives change, it's a massive sin. So eighth lesson learned here is always be learning. And I think this is probably the most important lesson that I learned, is that ADM is, is a process of continuous and so whatever you're doing, probably somebody else has done it before or somebody else can give you some insight into how they did it or solve that problem. And so what I have found is that you cannot get a perfect ADM program on day one. There is no magic bullet. It is your market, your problem, your problem that you're solving, your product, your audience. It is different for every program to program. But you can probably learn how to shortcut that or you can probably learn how somebody else approached that by benchmark. So definitely benchmark relentlessly. Small tangent, I put this uh, picture on the right uh, from emailgrader.com, super cool. This is also about testing. 
you can drop your email, text it in here, it's free, and it will use data science to tell you don't use this word, use that word, don't do this many words, do this many words, don't don't start your paragraph like that, do it like that. So it's kind of cool. So I just threw that in there for fun. So how do you want to do this? Well, two two ways. One, if you hit if you hit the QR code. Recently, in the last month, we just finished wrapping up this long list of research. We did all like the state of ABMs and the B, state of B2B and all that kind of research. I threw it into an Excel sheet because we were doing our own benchmarking. So I was like, well, I might as well just make this available to anybody. So if you want a cheat, cheat sheet on all the latest research, I'd be glad to send that to you. But also, I got a shameless plug here for Peak Community. If you're not familiar with Peak Community, you should check it out because it is, Sandra Murray was talking about the business of marketing. This is where you go to learn about the business of marketing. But also, you can learn a lot about ABM, which I'm partial towards. So um, I don't get anything if you go into Peak. I just highly recommend it. So Peak Community uh, is a great place to go. So number nine, don't compete with yourself. And I think uh, this one is one that's like, this is, where, this is where I tear up the most. Because when you run a program and you're competing with your own resources to run the program as a marketer, that is so frustrating. And I have seen these people, these pe I've seen programs get built, I've seen plans get made, tech get bought, and they can't even get their own creative team to make the ad. Or, or I have seen an ABM marketer get hired and a demand gen marketer already on the team, and the demand gen marketer won't help the ABM marketer because they, they believe demand gen and ABM believe they can, whatever it is. And so the lesson here is if you are the leader of your team and you are trying to bring ABM in, don't ignore the fact that there's a good chance that you're competing for your own resources and make sure that you have a good insight into who's doing what and why. And, and, like, and I think, like, here's a perfect example. We ran this program with a team, uh, I won't name any names, a couple months back, and somebody on the side was running a pilot for Sendoso doing direct mail to plant managers at manufacturers. And that, that direct mail pilot went awesome. Uh, like the click rate or the, the response rates were super high, the engagement was really good, but they didn't tell anybody. And the ABM programs over here running and the tactics are running over here are just not working right. And if they had been talking together and said, hey, when I put this direct mail in market about this response rate, you could have applied that to your ABM at the same time. And so it's just don't do that. Right? Don't, don't have good results over here and not share them over here. So as you're thinking about that, Oh, I, I got to mention this last one. Breaking technology, particularly for sales ops or marketing ops or your rev ops are not aligned. The number of times I've seen somebody make a decision on their technology that breaks the whole stack because they weren't talking internally, it, it was, it was, it, it's, it's shocking. It's shocking. I, last month I saw somebody make the decision to cancel their Salesforce contract without telling anybody. You can't cancel your Salesforce contract. So, so I think the lesson that I want to give you today is that to have an integrated plan, and there's no way you can read that, but that is an integrated plan that says, I'm gonna do this PR, I'm gonna do this uh, brand initiatives, I'm gonna run this editorial. And it's not really as important of what that says, it's do you have it? And it is, not, it is not an easy thing to do. This is not something you can download a template and bang it out in an hour. You have to actually be thinking about it. But my point is that if you have an integrated plan and you understand what are my brand goals? What are my PR goals? What are my editorial goals? What are my SEO goals? You have it all in one spot alongside what are the business objectives I'm trying to meet. That is going to foster a lot of alignment and it's gonna keep you from working against yourself. Rule 10, or, or lesson learned number 10, automation unlocks scale. I would say invest in automation as early as possible. And, and what I mean by that is ABM becomes heavy lift. 
over time. Like maybe you've got one or two or 10 accounts you want to hit now or 100 accounts. But as you scale that up, it is a heavy lift if you're not automating. And so the main plan is, or the main point here is, have a plan to automate. Write down what you're doing and understand where could you automate. And I don't necessarily mean, like when sometimes we say automation, people think like tokenizing email and then it's like, hi, first name. That's not that that stuff is bad, but that's not what I'm talking about. Like that stuff's fine. But I mean, how do you get your tactics to fire off automatically? How do you get your tactics to integrate so that when somebody sees 100 ads, they start getting this email? How do you start doing that type of programmatic integration across what you're doing? And I think if you at least have an insight into what is your playbook and where are the opportunities to automate and you hold yourself accountable to building your automation, then as you advance your program, you won't stall out because you don't have resources. And this is the kind of thing that gets away from you because if you don't do this along the way, you're going to be six months or a year or two years deep and you're not going to get any resources. And you're going to be totally strapped. And it's way easier to do from the ground up. So however you want to do that, I put two workflows up here. One is related to automating ads from different channels, and one is related to just integrating tactics. Well, the main thing is whether you use something like this, which I'd be happy to share with you, or you did your own, is write down the playbook. And then when you're looking at the playbook, oh, I'm going to do these ads, and these accounts, and this landing page, and these emails, and this BDR sequence, or whatever that playbook is, have that written down, iterate on that, and look for where you can automate it, because that is where you're going to get to scale. So I know I was supposed to have 10 lessons, but I couldn't help myself. I had to put this one in, so this is the bonus one. For anybody who's running ABM ads today, if you are not running HTML5 animated ads, you should be. I promise you, you should be. And one reason why you might not be doing this is because it can be really expensive. Not anymore, and I cannot get anything telling you this. Go to Creative P. It's like 50 bucks a month, and you can bang on your ads so fast, and you can iterate your HTML5 like nobody's business, and it's so easy to do. So one of the great things about ABM ads in particular is you can test your message a lot. You can test your message all, all the time using a platform like Creative P or whatever you want to use. Basically, anybody on your team can change this button, change this text, whatever case, and it's a great tool, and it's 50 bucks a month. Actually, I think it's less than that. So definitely check that out. So that, oh yeah, there's a little example I'll drive it in there. So you can kind of see what I mean. So anyway, I guess on sales pitch for Creative P, I just really believe in it. <laughs> so that's the end of my 10 lessons learned. I wanted to say a few minutes in case there's any questions. I'm happy to take any questions. And if there's not, uh, thank you guys for the time. Anybody have questions? Raise your hand. We got a couple more minutes. I want to make sure we, we do address any questions. Well, I, I got a question for you that I've, I've seen it. You mentioned I'm going to make, so when you guys come back after lunch, I'm going to recap every session with something that, that I'm learning and something that I'm seeing other people not on. Uh, one of the things what you said, don't compete on your own resources. And I think I've shared this a lot before where we talk about marketing and sales alignment. But I think the biggest challenge a lot of times is marketing alignment. Like within the marketing team, marketing, uh, product marketing, data, uh, the folks who are doing marketing ops and demand gen, what is the one thing that you would say, like, how do you get marketing team aligned? How does that work? Because if that works, you can actually save so much money and so much headache. Yeah. Well, this is a simple statement that's not easy to do. 
Uh, it goes back to simplifying what, what your goal is. Like, oftentimes, what is driving the misalignment is somebody doesn't understand either what you're trying to do or how it relates to what they're trying to do. And that's why I say you've got to really simplify. Here is the objective. Write it down. We're going to target these accounts. We're going to get this engaged. We're going to get this on. Like, whatever that is that you're going to do, write it down and make sure it's simplified. And don't use a bunch of fancy jargon. Make sure everybody understands do because oftentimes what I find is that they think that if they do this thing for you, they can't do this other thing over there, or they don't understand how this is going to help them solve their problem because they think they're solving your problem. You guys should be solving the same problem, and oftentimes you are, you just don't know it. And by writing it down and simplifying it, you can solve it better. Go for it. All right, folks. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.